Hello, and welcome to Roll for Topic, a roundtable discussion about topics related to running role-playing games. I'm Chris Salzman. And I'm Andy Rao. And Andy, as we record this, we are about a month away from Roll for Topicon. And as we were just discussing, it seems like every every waking moment is going towards organizing some some small detail of yes. the convention. I also I checked before we jumped on the call. Um, we have like 23 people registered so far, yeah. which is which is huge, right? So like we're you know we're not the the world's biggest podcast. We are not the world's biggest community, anything like that. But uh, yeah, this is a significant increase in number of attendees for us for this year. So I'm I'm super excited. I don't know how are you feeling right now? Yeah, I'm quite excited too. Uh, I feel like we've kind of upped our game as far as convention prep mm-hmm. and management goes this year. Just as far as, you know, there's going to be a printed schedule and yeah. <laughs> uh, there will be like signs. Yeah. You know, those are all yeah. things we didn't really feel a need to do in past years. And yeah, Mostly, this has just given me an appreciation for people that run real yes. conventions, you know? Like, oh my, yes, yeah. Think about how much of your brain power has gone into prepping for a convention that will have like two dozen people. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I mean, imagine if that's like 500 and you've got sponsors and yeah. Oh, so yeah, yeah. all of you convention managers and volunteers, I have a new appreciation for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I did want to talk about something with you, Chris, and it mm-hmm. is related to conventions, but hopefully it will be at least mildly interesting or useful to mm-hmm. our listeners. And that is, so I just went through the process as you have and as others have done of choosing which game I want to run at the conference. Yes. It took me weeks to make this decision. It did. And I finally just decided that, well, it helped that we set our own, you know, we told other people what the deadline was for them to submit games. Mm-hmm. And I realized that probably applied to me too. So. Yes, it did. <laughs> yeah. So um, I made a decision about which game to run, but I thought it might or might not be interesting to talk through the different games I was thinking about. And then mm-hmm. maybe we could talk about like, why are some games kind of feel like better fits for a convention mm-hmm. type one shot environment? That sounds really good. Yeah. So what did you like? Yeah. What, what were the games that you thought about running? Yeah. So I had a list of uh, maybe a half dozen games. I was thinking seriously about running. Mm-hmm. One of them was time watch, which is a, it's a role-playing game uses the gumshoe engine published by Pelgrane press. It's about time travel. Uh, it, I think it had a successful Kickstarter a number of years ago. Was, I think it was one of the earlier game Kickstarters. And the idea of it was like, let's make a game that plays into all of the awesome time travel tropes from all your favorite shows and movies, uh, which it does. Seems like a fantastic game. And that yeah. was the game until pretty late in the decision-making process that I thought I was going to run at the convention. Hmm. I'll go through the others quickly and then ask you know, uh, you can let me know if you have any questions about one. Two of the uh, Borg games were on the list. Uh, Cyborg, the cyberpunk variant of Mork Borg and mm-hmm. Pirate Borg, the pirate variant. Mork Borg itself is like, it feels like a great convention game. In fact, I've played it at the last RFT con. It's, yeah. it's like low prep rules, light, easy to throw together, but it's not. I, I really, really respect and appreciate it, but it's not really my thing. Uh, the aesthetic of it, you know? Yes. My jaw drops every time I pass it on my bookshelf, but it's not really my thing. Yeah. And that is a sort of game where if you do not connect with the aesthetic of it, you're just, it's not going to be a good time yeah, at all. Yeah. yeah. Like if you're in the target audience, there's no better game has ever been made for you. But yes. And then the last couple of games, I was kind of thinking of as a pair. I was, two of them, I was thinking of either running Lancer or mech warrior hmm. i like mechs i've yeah. been here since i ran a mech game uh you know a role-playing game with 
mechs of any sort and both of those fit the bill was uh was mech warrior did you play was there a version of that that was out like when you were growing up that you played there was yes okay. it's, it's one of the earliest role-playing games i played mm-hmm. before i really got into role-playing games or around the time i was getting into them i was playing a lot of BattleTech, mm-hmm. which is a like a board war game where you pilot mechs around they released a companion role-playing game and in its earliest form they called it mech, mech the mech warrior role-playing game and its basic appeal at the time was why not flesh out like the pilot of your mech a little bit to like i think the assumption was you were still mostly playing BattleTech, mm-hmm. but you could kind of create uh, a character character that wasn't just one or two numbers for your mech pilot yeah. and then use that to kind of inform your adventures although i think the assumption was always you know you would wind up fighting out your battles playing battle tech yeah uh, i'm gonna go on a, a mech tangent real quick but Please, yes. uh, yeah uh, i figured you'd appreciate it if anything oh like so like i i played a lot of video games that have like mechs and stuff in them so like xenogears comes to mind if you ever played that game it's a yeah sprawling role-playing game from the from the 90s yeah so there's like xenogears and then the armored core series which i think there's actually gonna be a new one coming out pretty soon too yes all these games right and there's you know there's there's others and stuff it's like there's this concept of like you have this tiny human that can die very easily and then this giant mech that can like you know sustain massive damage and stuff right you know and it's like that interplay between like the very squishy human and the giant robot that can't be defeated like it's just so interesting because you have these two different power levels you get to play with and like i can't think of another genre that really does that super well and i think for me like that's what's like so so cool about mechs right is like you have you have that like if someone can kind of break through the mech and get at the squishy human then you're done right like yeah, yeah that's really interesting you know it makes me actually think of like of like werewolf or when i try to think of other games that let you play in kind of two forms mm-hmm. one is your kind of weak form but the one you use to navigate kind of the everyday life of the setting mm-hmm. and the other is like your kind of battle awesome incredibly powerful form that is incredibly powerful but also has really like limited utility in what you can do with it right yeah um, i have looked at most of the mech related games right role, role playing games that have come out and i think this is an unsolved challenge I think there are games that get close to it. And I, I understand that there's different genres within kind of the mech meta genre. Oh, of course. You can yeah. have, you know, like your teenage angsty mech pilots. And, you know, then you have your battle techs, which are more like grizzled mercenaries driving tank things that are more like tanks. Mm-hmm. And I think that it really comes down to one of those two modes is always going to be more interesting the other than yes. the other. And yeah. it's usually going to be the one where you're piloting like a, 80 ton like death machine right <laughs> yes it is yeah it's gonna be the one where you have a, a missile pack on your shoulder it's not gonna be the one where you're like trying to figure out how to buy groceries <laughs> right yes yeah. so i realize you know i i realize there's probably BattleTech and other fans going out there going like no these settings are rich with role-playing potential mm-hmm. and i totally agree with you but in practice man you know mm-hmm. it's hard to say show up for a mech warrior game this will be a political game of like you know interacting <laughs> with like you know. Oh, like, could you imagine a social encounter when you're in a bunch of mechs where you have to like go to a uh, like a masquerade party and oh, dance yes. around in your mech? <laughs> well, I so this is why I didn't end up choosing one of these games. Okay, and and it was because I couldn't figure out 
how to do that well. I mean, because Battletech is kind of this like Dune meets Game of Thrones like setting where there's noble houses and uh, lots of politicking and, you know, treachery and backstabbing. But that stuff all serves a purpose of like leading up to everyone getting in their mech. Mm-hmm. and like blasting each other away on the battlefield yeah and i just didn't have confidence in myself that in a one shot i did not want the one shot to be one big tedious three hour mech battle yeah but i didn't really have confidence in how i could also have a really compelling like more social or outside of your mech sequence and also a cool mech scene because I deserve to be slapped if I say come play Mech Warrior and then like, you know, there's no mech. So yes. I, I I know that problem. I know people have done that and I'm sure it works well, but I mm-hmm. I could not find a path to something that sounded awesome to me. Yeah. So I had to cross that off the list. And kind of the same goes with Lancer, which I know less about, but it seems like a really neat game. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think, yeah, if you if if we had like a, a two session track at at RFT Conrad, that could be really fun where yeah, like maybe the setup is you're the the humans for the first session and then the second session is the the three hour long battle. Yep. That you've, yep. you've made much worse by your social encounter rules. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. exactly. There was a like a final game I was thinking about. You know, I was thinking about running some kind of a spy game. Mm-hmm. Like, like probably using the most the recent somewhat recently kickstarted uh, top secret oh, uh, yeah. RPG, which is sort of a re-implementation of an old game from the 80s mm-hmm. and on that one i kind of just felt like my heart wasn't quite in it we have somebody at the con who's running the actual james bond 007 role-playing game yeah also from the 80s and uh whatever i do would pale in comparison to uh, that <laughs> gm and that game so yeah i still contend that would not have been the, the worst thing in the world to have two two rival spy games I suppose not. No. Yeah. Would you? Um, so I, I'm curious because I know that you played the original Top Secret a lot back in the day. Like, would you have used the revised rules, or would you have tried to run it like you know, young teenage Andy? I went back to the old rules and I spent time reading back through them, and I would have used the most recent iteration. I don't okay. think it's it's not perfect, and um, in a little bit of like a sad way. I I mean, all respect to the designers of it. So this isn't intended as a critique of the game. Mm-hmm. The new version isn't really doesn't really uh, follow up is not an evolution of like the old mechanics, Hmm. which is probably makes it a better game. But it also it threatens the nostalgic pull it can have on me because it looks like a competent spy game, but it's not the top secret I played when I was a teenager. Right. Yeah. But when I look at those old rules, I do think that um, I do think that top secret SI is kind of an underappreciated. I don't. I think it'd be a bit much to say it's an underappreciated gem, but it was a surprisingly solid game with with some. It didn't do anything revolutionary, but it had a lot of just pretty good ideas that, when I encountered them in the '80s, were new and cool to me. Mm-hmm. But I think they would come across as kind of clunky, uh, clunky today. Is there um, like on the the topic of spy games? You know, it's like I've played a handful of mystery games. You know, I'm going to be running Brindlewood Bay at the con. And like you you mentioned earlier, was it Time? What was the... the time was Watch, it? yeah. Time Watch. It, it, which is kind of like a... It, it's pretty much like a what you we think of as like a spy, a Jason Bourne type thing, except you're going through time, right? Yeah, okay. That makes sense. Yeah, so I'm, I'm wondering like, you know, so like that uses Gumshoe and, you know, some of these like, you know, mystery 
games have their own systems and stuff like what's the hook that makes it a spy game versus a mystery game like do you just have are you better at shooting people <laughs> you know shooting people driving that sort of stuff i think the the story beats in in both those genres you know somewhat similar right there's usually some sort of mystery you're trying to solve like you solve it usually through violence in a spy spy movie or you know political subterfuge rather than finding clues in a mystery game that is an interesting big topic let me tell you some of the things I wrestled with that kind of are adjacent to that question. What you find when you look at things that call themselves spy games is that they're really all emulating a particular, for the most part, a particular iteration of the spy genre, like mm-hmm. which is quite far from like John Le Carre spy stuff. Like one thing I kind of wrestle with the spy games is that it's less like you're doing anything that's like really spy like, and it's more like your command, like a team of commandos or something almost. Mm-hmm. Um, it, especially like when I was looking back at the old top secret SI adventures, like most of them were straight up, like you're a team of commandos, I guess there would be an occasional scene where you have to like go undercover for like a scene or something like that. But mm-hmm. those feel like a type of genre that doesn't, quite tick my spy check boxes yeah does that make sense yeah i think it does yeah i mean because there is that that difference between the like methodical gathering evidence in a secret way versus james bond sort of you know <laughs> sliding with his guns guns blazing right um, yeah seducing everybody in in the area my guess is just from knowing you is that the the part of the spy genre that you get into is more the like we wiretapped you for seven years and like have have the evidence yes. <laughs> evidence to prove it you know, what I want is a game that in is not like you've discovered where the meeting of the evil organization is and you're parachuting in as we begin. Uh, all right, mm-hmm. you know, roll everyone roll for initiative. Uh, it's not sneaking around warehouses and throwing grenades and stuff. It is more that um, here is the target. Here's what you know about him. How are you going to turn him from his side to yours? Mm. Like, So what's your plan? Might take, you know, and your plan might be a six month plan of like, we're going to wiretap all his phones. We're going to try to uh, engineer over time. We're going to, you know, w- work our way into his confidence and then get him into a compromising situation where we can blackmail him, you know, or any mm-hmm. of these like very John LeCarrie style like scenes. I know there, especially nowadays, there's such a variety of games out there that there are games that can do that. But the ones I know and the ones I own are all of the. Here's welcome to your spy game. He, everyone has a thousand dollars to spend on assault ma- machine guns. You know, <laughs> yeah. like uh, it, those are awesome. Like, don't get me yeah. wrong, but yeah. Uh, and those games, like you know, when I read through the latest iteration of Top Secret, it's like it doesn't. And again, it's doing what it's setting out to do, but it's it doesn't really conceive of a type of spy story that isn't mostly like a mission impossible like here's here's your orders Mm -hmm. parachute in tomorrow and steal the briefcase yeah yeah and i think i get the inclination of why a lot of those games a lot of games go that direction because that's a lot easier to write (laughs) right and a lot easier to sell so i think to a group then yeah something that's more methodical i'm thinking about like blades in the dark has like sort of the different phases right so you have downtime and then your your heists and your scores and stuff yep like that like you could probably make a pretty cool spy version of blades in the dark where like your your downtime is all your setup stuff like your like your Mm. wiretapping yes yeah you're like you're tracking them all that 
all that sort of stuff, right? And you sort of like see how that goes and then that informs how your approach then to your your actual like mission goes rather than being handed your mission and like, here's all the stuff that you gathered, whatever, whatever, like you actually get to make some of those decisions ahead of time. Agreed. And those games, you know, what's what feels important to me is that is the same thing that you get with like a with like a heist type game. I want the players to come up with a creative way to achieve their goals. I don't want to give them a mission briefing where they're told what to do and how to do it. Yeah. And, you know, a game like Blades in the Dark, you know, tweaked in an espionage direction, which wouldn't really take that much work, no. right? Because I mean, I think you can even, uh, the, you can probably just rules as written, just yeah. <laughs> run, yeah. run espionage. You could yeah. just, re, yeah, you could almost just reskin it to a different time period yeah. and have yourself a, a perfectly serviceable um, espionage group. But anyway, I don't, I don't want to talk about spy stuff uh yes too much longer but i did want to say something else and so one concern i had with uh picking an adventure and maybe and i want to hear kind of how you chose the game you will be running at the con as well but so time watch tempted me for a really long time so time watch is a game for telling your favorite like time travel episode basically from quantum leap star trek or you know any of those things right uh and the gist is you know you've detected you know some history has gone off the rails and this is the date where it happened. So you go back there and then you have to figure out what went wrong. And then you might have to travel to other times and places to set history, right? You know, that's amazing pitch. I love it. People complain about repetitive time travel plots, but like I would, if every episode of Star Trek was like a a time travel episode, (laughs) I would be even more happy with Star Trek than I am uh, now. But here's what I decided. I'd like to hear your reaction. I've grown less comfortable with story missions that to really get the full experience of them, you really have to kind of play through them more or less in order. Mm. And I feel like a time travel thing, I mean, because the genre of time travel is so ludicrously open-ended, and this happened as I was kind of looking at the some of the, the pre-written adventures from Time Watch, you really have to kind of guide people from like, scene a to scene b to scene to scene c and and so on in my nightmare scenario at a convention is there's four scenes and we only are on scene three when the time is up and then yes of course it's fun just to play but like what a bummer if you don't get the payoff especially in a great time story Mm -hmm. uh, time travel story so so for that reason that kind of led me and where i landed was was pirate Borg because Ooh, yeah. um, because pirate Borg is just much more built on the assumption that you are not bringing a pre-planned adventure with with a kind of a linear series of scenes to move through. It's more of like a you you have a ship. This is a map. Here are the the three the one d six rumors that you've heard about the island near you. What are you going to do? And mm. so I don't know how that will go. I haven't run that before. Yeah, but I decided that had a greater chance and i had such a good time with a last year running twilight 2000 where there was no plot it was we just rolled dice and drew cards to see what happened as they moved across the map i would love to if i could capture that again mm-hmm. i a it would be really fun and b we would just stop when the time is up and the fun was you know we had all the fun like yeah none of the fun was contingent on 
completing a plot or solving a mystery so okay i've just monologued for a really long time so i'd like to hear your reactions <laughs> that's good well one i mean i'm glad that you you chose pirate borg i think that's a, a really fun a really fun option although i mean your pitch for time watch is like well i mean i want to play that <laughs> I, I know that's the problem <laughs> the time watch pitch is amazing yeah uh, yeah yeah i mean that's like right so brindlewood bay the game that i'm running is like you know like what if um what if murder she wrote but tabletop <laughs> yes <laughs> you know yes. like years of what if quantum leap but tabletop it's like well i mean yeah you could do a whole what like 80s 80s block of <laughs> thinking about that distinction you mentioned between between like a like somewhat scripted outline versus something that's more freeform like it's not even like you're you're necessarily saying a sandbox like there's still sort of going to be an inciting event yes that they have to go that they have to like you know engage with or otherwise it's going to be pretty boring right but like right right yeah, like, so it's, uh, I mean, I think that's like a good distinction. I mean, I, I for me, it kind of comes down to like what I'm interested in at the time. Um, like, I think Brindlewood Bay has a scenario. There's no defined, you know, killer or anything like that. Like, that's that's part of the magic of that system is that you just, you sort of go around and gather clues and then you as a group decide what <laughs> what happens, um, right? So that's, that's going to be a bit more of an open-ended game than what I'm, I'm normally used to. Like, usually yeah. I have a pretty tight outline of like, here are the, the story beats that I want to hit. And that works well for my personality. Yeah, and I think the people that continue to play with me, it works well for their personality. I'm sure there's a lot of people who tried <laughs> right. it once and never again. And okay. <laughs> right. They just quietly faded away. Yeah, yeah. quietly faded. Yeah, oh, I'm busy. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's 100% fine, right? Like, that's, that's part of playing these games. But I like what you're trying to get at. And I think it makes a lot of sense to do in a convention. Um, I think it takes a little bit more experience, which you have, right, to sort of stick the landing on, on that style. Sure. Style of game, like understanding, like, the pacing and, like, what's going on at the table. Because I think if you don't have an outline, you have to be more aware of like when are things getting bogged down and should they be getting bogged down or should they be moving along Yeah. again? And you'll you'll navigate that just fine, I think. Um, you know, especially with the the sorts of people that were, are going to be coming to the con to play. Like they're they're going to be excited to play Pirate Borg, right? Like they're not, you're not going to have to sell them on that as a fun thing to do. I have to say, you know, I mean, this is a convention for largely for GMs, as you say, and mm -hmm. It, it does make a big difference. I mean, it, it has encouraged me in the past to try games that were intimidating to me because I knew that the table would be all in with me, right? Yes. And so, you know, that gives me confidence because you're right with Pirate Borg. The worst case scenario is it's like a tedious slog as we move from hex to hex rolling for dumb, boring random encounters or something like that that yeah. never amount to something that feels like there's even a pace that it's keeping right <laughs> yes. so that's like the worst case scenario but like but I, I am i am not really worried about that because mm -hmm. i don't think the players would let that happen even if i just kind of completely botched my job as gm yeah i, I don't think so yeah i think especially because you're you'll be open to the fact that they need they're, they're going to be bringing their own own sort of like yeah goals and ideas there yeah it does make me wonder though do you have Right, so you're gonna be running this for the first time. Like we've played Morkboard once. Like, do you have a sense of like, here's what I want to get across with Pirate Borg to them? Like, is it like does there have to be some sort of scene where skeletons jump on the ship and they they fight them off? <laughs> like, does there have to be someone saying "Ar matey"? Like, you know, like what what are the highlights for you that like that have to happen for it to be feel like a successful game? Oh, that's a great question, and I don't know that I have the best answer for you. Mm -hmm. uh, I think. This is a this is a dumb way to answer. I want it to feel like we had like a piratey good time, right? <laughs> okay, yeah. I trust 
pirate borg the rules and the ta- the random tables and stuff like that and mm-hmm. I, I mean no matter where they go they'll bump into something that's pretty piratey you know they'll hit a, the crew of the damned with a bunch of skeleton sailors or if they go into town you know there's a very there's i'll make sure there's a very piratey tavern um mm-hmm. and i'll make sure there's a, a spooky swamp with a you know with a hidden treasure or something like that so i'm not worried that there will be some shortage of that what what is going to be tricky is figuring out what the tone of it is yes um, yeah because like these these board games are very just the tone is like cranked up to 11 um mm-hmm. the aesthetic is really cranked up and so you know again we've talked a lot about this I don't want slapstick Captain Jack Sparrow tripping, you know, being goofy and tripping. Mm-hmm. I also don't want grim, dark, brutal, real pirates. You know, yes, yeah, what pirates actually are, yeah, <laughs> right, yeah. yeah, just like you know, horrible thugs. But um, that will be something. You know, I will plan for something that tries to walk a line between those things. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm again because of the crowd of players we're going to have. This is the sort of thing where I could say up front, you know. Yeah. I am trying to hit a tone yeah. in between the slapstick of Pirates of the Caribbean and the grim dark of whatever Game of Thrones I or something. I mean, yeah. Did you watch Our Flag Means Death? No, I have not. Like, okay. Remarkably well, I mean, if you're if you're yeah. thinking about like yeah, other source material to draw from, that might be well. It'd be worth watching just because it's it's excellent, right? It's yeah, it's it goes in places I did not expect. Okay, but great. I think it it does show a sort of like yeah, piratey good time like to your 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 terminology that is in between that like slapstick and like the harsh realities of what what being a pirate yeah um i think could could actually mean and be um okay yeah well i've been collecting like all the pirate media i need to consume i put that in quotes uh between now and then i have been for the last week i have been just mainlining the pirates of the caribbean movies (laughs) so uh, i've (laughs) i'm having a great time but i also can't wait to be done done with those uh but um and so i have my own little list i'm reading my favorite pirate novel tim powers is uh on stranger tides Mm -hmm. there's a pirates of the caribbean movie that paid him for the rights to his book and the movie has nothing to do with the book except the title so i hope he made a million dollars off that (laughs) yeah although from everything i've learned about just with the Hollywood strikes, I assume he made like seven dollars and yes. got Johnny Depp's signature or something. Yeah, probably. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, like music, books, uh, games, anything piratey, you know, I, I I'll add our flag means death to the list. Yes. Yeah, I would. I'd recommend that. Are you gonna have a sea shanty? <laughs> like, like so that's what I need to know. Sea shanties yeah. are a part are mechanically built into pirate okay. work. So okay. yes, and I have to figure out what to how to make that. I want to do that in a fun way mm-hmm. um, somewhere between making the table belt out a sea shanty. Although that sounds really fun. Now that I, I say think it. you, I think you at the beginning, I think you lay on the table like, uh, <laughs> you know, okay. you like lay out some sort of like, you know, musical instrument yes. shit or something or like little like things like at any time you can pick this up. And if you all sing a sea shanty, you'll get some sort of bonus. Okay. Uh, yeah. Here's, <laughs> Don't make them, but but make it make it on offer. Um, I know of at least one attendee who will take that that immediately. <laughs> All right, so. I will say, I desperately hope that at least at one time during this game, all the other game tables in the room will have to pause and wait for us to finish singing an obnoxious sea shanty at yes. top volume. But, yeah. <laughs> so we'll see if that actually happens. Yeah. 
But hey, that reminds me of something else that uh, kind of a a gimmick I want to do in my convention game. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I would like to hear other ideas. But so I'm going to do a test run of Pirate Borg before the convention. Okay. So in a couple of weeks, I'm going to be running, you know, more or less my convention scenario for a group of people that won't be playing it at the convention. And yeah. so I'm going to give them a map. So they'll be at the same location as the convention game is going to be. And I'm going to yes. give them a map. And I'm going to an- ask them to just annotate it, like, as we play through, just annotate the heck out of that map yes. with, like, the sort of things you scrawl on a pirate map. And then I want to give the convention players, like, a an honest-to-God, it was used by another crew and passed into your hands, <laughs> like, map. So, oh I mean, goodness. maybe it'll have, like, spoilers, you know, written over it and the exact yeah. location of the treasure marked, or maybe... They will have scrawled other dumb stuff on it, but um, oh, that is so good. So yeah, yeah, so give me more. I need more ideas to of like dopey things like this that mm-hmm. will like up the pirate feel. Yeah, I mean, if you so if there is that map, I mean, I think this is if there's ever a time that this has been called for, I think you need to burn the edges. Yes, burn part of the middle of that thing out. You know, like you know. Like, Flip it over, right? So you don't even see what's on the other side, right? Like, and like, yeah. just sort of like, you know, go go to town a little bit. Maybe rip it in half so they get like one part of it at the beginning and one part later. Have you aged a document like that? You know, I've never aged a document. Um, I've bought some paper that looked aged before, and like, okay. I think that that was a good route to go. Um, I know. I mean, if you ask, if you start asking around and looking around, like, there's going to be a hundred, hundred thousand tutorials out there yes. about how to do it in the best way. I'm sure if you just like dunked it in coffee crumple it up like let your cat play with it that sort of stuff growing up i always heard that you like would soak you soak it in tea and then uh and then it's still legible but it looks very old and uh, i am gonna try to burn the edges of it and if it doesn't just like catch the whole thing on fire (laughs) like i will be stunned but uh, but i'm gonna give it a try so yes yeah i think that's i think that's really good i mean yeah i think you are right in that the players are going to bring sort of their own own ideas to the table. I think, yeah, if you give them a couple little like props or things like that to grab onto, I think that will, that'll just enhance it. And then from there, yeah, if you're just rolling on random tables and it's like, yeah, piratey stuff is happening. I think, I think you have a really good game and I'm disappointed I won't get to play in it. Cause I think we, we have our sessions sort of uh, set up at the exact same time. Uh, but yeah, that sounds awesome. I think you'll, yeah, it's a good choice. Awesome. Well, um, we should wrap up before too long, but I did want to kind of flip this around and chat with you. I mean, I've just spent 30 straight minutes talking about the games I am running or I'm thinking of running. You, as soon as the it became possible to submit an event to run at the con, you were like the first one there with Brindlewood Bay. Yeah. And so can you tell me a little bit about why Brindlewood Bay? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's so I've, I've played it uh, twice. It's a fantastic game. I think it's, it's the sort of game where, especially the convention for GMs, like I want to run it because I think everybody should get a chance chance to try it just because it does a couple things just so, so well compared to many other games that I've played. And I'm sure there's there's more sort of like in genre in genre games that, that do this. But just the the fact that you're running a mystery game in which you, the GM, don't know like what the answer is. Yes. Right. Like that alone, I think, is worth is worthwhile to try to get, you know, a handful of people just. <laughs> a handful more people in the world to, to, to give that a chance. Uh, Cause I think that's uh, a really fun way, way to approach it. Cause I think like a lot of GMs want to run mystery games and they get really intimidated by like, well, how do I do it? Right. How do I make sure they don't miss clues and, and that sort of stuff. And this, this game sort of posits like, what if it doesn't matter? Like, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think like that, that's pretty, 
pretty fun. I mean, I think it's also just like, it's a good time, right? Like you, the way I'm going to run it and the way that I've, I've had it run for me by, by Matt Wilson is like you, you start with character creation, right? So you, you create a bunch of these grandmotherly type figures who have kind of their own personalities and it's, it's a pretty fast process, but it also does a good job. I think of creating a party that you sort of know who everybody is really well too, um, off the bat. Right. So it's like, it's, it's just like, it's a fun character creation exercise. It's a fun game to play. You know, like the result of it is always like, is going to be a good time. Um, and it's just like, you know, it's sort of, it's a good convention game in that like it is, it's a little cheesy. It's a little fun. Like everybody's going to have, have sort of a good time with it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, like I jumped to it immediately just cause like I'm, I'm interested in it. Um, and honestly, like nothing else out there right now is like really grabbing me that I like, I had, I have to run this. Okay. Yep. <laughs> right. Like I have a, I have a box set of the one ring, um, sitting on my shelf that like, I think if, you know, I kind of looked at that for a minute, like, like, Oh, maybe I should run that. Cause like, I've, I've also played in a uh, campaign that John Corey did where we, we played as the, the bumbling hobbits, the bumbling yeah. hobbits campaign is what he, what we called it. And that was really fun too. And I think that's like a fun, a fun system to showcase as well. I will be playing a, a game of that in a couple of months. Oh, the, nice. The one ring starter set. I think we're doing the, you know, Hobbit troubleshooters yeah. campaign. So I'm, yes. I'm really excited. Hearing you talk about Brindlewood Bay, you know, there's a bazillion games out there, but like it, it feels special to me. Like it, mm-hmm. after I played Brindlewood Bay, I told everyone I know who could yes. possibly care about yeah. Brindlewood Bay. Like yeah. they just had to know about it. And I like, it's pretty rare that a game does that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Blades in the Dark kind of did that for me when I when Blades in the Dark clicked for me it was like a oh my goodness mm-hmm. everyone needs to know about what this can do for their like GMing um, yes and Brindlewood Bay kind of felt like that to me yeah no I I agree yeah it's it's a very similar similar game like I'm like I'm a pretty simple person like most of the time I'm playing a game I'm enjoying it like it's not yeah but like there's there are certain games you get done with it and you're like, yeah, everybody needs to know, <laughs> know about this. Yeah. So I think same thing for me yeah, for the next month, I wouldn't shut up about it. Anyone who mentioned even like a board game, I was like, Oh, you know, by the way, <laughs> there's this, this other thing I'm forever trying to figure out with, with like talking to people about it is, is it still good if you did not grow up like watching murder, she wrote or any of those sort of like, yeah, like I, I don't even know how to describe them sort of like late night TV <laughs> from, <laughs> from like that time period. Um, yeah. Like it really relies on, on that. And I mean, I have to imagine those shows are still, still happening these days. I'm just not aware of them, but like, yeah, yeah. like I think, you know, there's something really special about it. Yeah. So it's something that I really wanted to showcase. And like, honestly, like, right. We chose the theme for our, for the con. So the theme is secrets. And it was like, it, it just, it just made a lot of sense to do that. Like I'm not going to run 5e at this thing. Um, right. So. so are you going to be uh, bringing, and I guess you don't have to spoil if you want to be a surprise. Mm-hmm. Do you have any gimmicks or props or anything that you're going to break out at Brindlewood Bay? You, uh, are you I'm... bringing a, a basket full of like, you know, knitting supplies and uh, <laughs> no, a, puzzle, uh, a puzzle or something? Yeah, I am not. Uh, I will. I will not spoil anything on air. I have, okay. a, I have a couple ideas for things that I want to try, try with it. Um, and, and Matt Wilson, who's run, he has like a long running Brindlewood Bay campaign going we've been chatting a little bit too so he had he had a few ideas for me um he steered me away from some some potentially bad ideas already <laughs> so that's that's, that's good. just as useful as having good runs is oh my goodness vetoing the bad ones yes yeah so yeah I've, I've got some some fun ideas um although it sounds like we might have to have some sort of competing like theme song or something to go against oh, your sea yes. shanty <laughs> yeah 
Okay, yeah. I mean, so here's an, here's a thing that I was not able to figure out a way to do this, but mm-hmm. feels like a missed opportunity. I wanted some of our games to interact with each other in some yeah. way. There has got to be... All right, there's still time. There's still time. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay, well, we should take this off air because I yes. just have like three thoughts. So yes, <laughs> I think exactly. that could be really... <laughs> yes really really fun <laughs> we have to cross over in some even a very small way we have to cross our games over because yeah. we'll be playing at the same time in the same room yeah okay, okay cool yeah all right yep. sounds good yeah okay all right well this was a really good conversation yeah thanks, was, for, yes. thanks for walking us through your thoughts yes and there. listeners thanks for indulging us as we kind of uh use this as our sort of therapy uh, uh gm <laughs> yeah. therapy session where we talk to each other and kind of unload what's been on our minds and yeah, what we're looking ahead it. to so we will get we'll get back to you sort of our, our normally scheduled stuff pretty soon yes but, at some point probably yeah. after the convention is gone yeah. and i can think about normal gm stuff <laughs> yes yeah all right well we've been a uh, roll for topic we're part of the roll for it media uh network our sister show the splat book with john Corey and kyle latino um is awesome you can find them at the splatbook.com um, they had a recent episode where uh, Kyle and his his uh, the company that he works with, Cloud Curio, um, they do some like yeah side projects. Uh, they all sort of came on to do like a hey, what is Cloud Curio? And it was they're just delightful people. So I think you should go go listen to that. Um, Cloud Curio has put out like a few kickstarters. Um, Amber is uh, the like kind of the lead project manager and um, yeah does some art and stuff uh, too and uh, I'm gonna forget Kenny I think does a lot of the writing and Kyle does some of the art there's a, another person Sally who, who does some editorial stuff too anyway they're all they're all really amazing people um, and looks like they're doing lots of cool stuff yeah Kyle Latino who I think a lot of people who listen to this podcast know him he uh, he's gonna be doing um, a Kickstarter pretty soon called Monstrous, which I'm sure we will talk about more at length when Ooh, that yes. that goes live. But he's been posting uh, like various videos on his YouTube channel of like drawing some of the art for that. And it's like, you know, talk about getting your mind going the way that he he comes up with these monsters and kind of uh, in the way that like Kenny, I think, is writing to describe them and stuff. It's just like this is the monster manual that you actually want. It's <laughs> uh, what it's yes. gonna come down to. So <laughs> Yeah. Anyway. Okay. I think that does it for us. Yeah. yeah, We got to get a topic on here. Like what is the monster manual? We actually, we actually want what's the monster manual we need uh, that (laughs) that no one is giving us. So yes, I could, could be monstrous. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly not the, the, like the five E monster manual, which is, I mean, it's a a good resource, although I could also just take it in an Excel document. So there's something, something missing there, but okay. Anyway. All right. That does it for us. Um, I've been Chris Salzman. I've been Andy Rowe. And remember, if your player's having fun, you're a great GM.